Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ, 102.1 FM, your local community radio station. When you can't rely on corporate media giants or social media giants to bring you the news that matters to your life, there's always your uh, community volunteer-run station done out of the love of it and belief in a better world and independent of corporate interests so keep tuning into four triple z keep subscribing um and keep contributing if you can the um as the old indie media slogan goes don't hate the media be the media maybe mark zuckerberg's got the message because he hasn't blocked z news yet he hasn't got his algorithm working he's, properly he's left the one important news source that you need um he didn't want to go too far he must be quaking in his boots, eh? <laughs> I don't think this will last forever. I think this is a an an ambit claimed by Facebook in the process of negotiating in the only way that corporate giants know how, which is brute power displays. Um, but it does bring up, once again, we can't rely on these social media giants. They don't have our best interests at heart, nor do big corporate media companies. And so uh, the importance of independent media, as always reinstated and um that's all of our responsibilities to seek it out and to make it you know make the media relevant to us so that's what triple z's about it's what we've been doing for 45 years and counting and today on the paradigm shelf myself andy and ian here will be bringing you an hour of more of the same it's interesting that now those big corporate giants have more in their budgets than entire nation states so they can hold Australia to ransom if just turn us off if they want to and meanwhile there are more pressing things at hand today we're talking to the emeritus professor Ian Lowe who is an expert on the environment and community and how we react to the existential threat of climate change and he is part of a people's inquiry that has been set up to look at Australian independence and our, our military alliance with the US. So he'll be talking today from the point of view of the environment and community, what the response should be. But he's making a big call out to our listeners. That inquiry that he's involved in will only be as good as the submissions that people put into it they and there are two ways of doing that 
One is by attending the webinar that they have and the other one is to make written submissions. So it'll be very interesting. So just to sort of jolt your memory and get your pens out and listen to what he has to say and if you've got anything to say on any of these issues, make sure you turn up uh, at the People's Inquiry. It begins on the 25th of February and the coordinators are... um, uh, Ian Lowe and the Archbishop of Brisbane, Peter Catt. So they're caught. He, Peter Catt's talking about, I think, social justice issues. But why don't we get into it and listen to the first part of the interview I did this morning with um, Ian Lowe? Could we start by you introducing yourself? Yeah, my name is Ian Lowe. I'm an emeritus professor in the Department of Environment and Science at Griffith University. Um, I suppose I should introduce myself. I'm Ian Kerr. I'm on a radio show on community radio for triple z it's called the paradigm shift with an em- and it has an emphasis on social justice and sustainability right but buddy can you spare a paradigm <laughs> yes i suppose i should get the really big question out of the way first that is can capitalism preserve and restore natural systems that we depend upon for for humanity animals and plants to survive climate change I think it's relatively unlikely because uh, uh, under capitalism, the primary duty of every corporation is to its shareholders. And uh, what its shareholders expect to, to do is to make a profit. So if it is more profitable to degrade natural systems for which we don't charge people uh, than to uh, behave in a way that is sustainable in the long term, then arguably the directors of private corporations have a fiduciary duty to behave in a way that degrades natural systems rather than using them sustainably. So uh, if we are going to have a sustainable future, we certainly need at least to radically modify the capitalist system. Capitalism was a revolutionary process that allowed humanity to escape the torment of feudalism. What type of economic system will we need to come with in the future? Many of us uh, of my generation were really attracted to the notion that uh, Dubček advanced when he was leading the so-called Velvet Revolution in uh, what was then Czechoslovakia, uh, the combination of what's now the Czech Republic and Slovakia, uh, in 1968. And he argued that what was needed was what he called socialism with a human face. In other words, uh, he argued that uh, we'd be better off with a system in which the primary responsibility for uh, production and distribution of goods and services uh, lies with government, which can make decisions in the interest of the community. But it needs to be done in a way that uh, protects... um, the rights of humans and there was a real concern that under the socialist societies in uh, the Soviet Union and its satellite states in Eastern Europe that uh, they degenerated into a sort of um, uh, authoritarian state in which the interests of individuals were uh, sacrificed to the, the common good and he argued that while it was desirable for the state to have control of the production of goods and services, it was also essential uh, for this to be sustainable for the state to respect the rights of individuals. 
Soon after the Soviet tanks went into Czechoslovakia, there was a change in the leadership of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and uh, Brezhnev was the new leader and he said about increasing spending on military and armaments because he was in a contest with the the premier capitalistic state, uh, the, the United States. So in, in a way, it was that contest that led to the, you know, the brinkmanship that gave us the arms race and eventually collapse of uh, the Soviet Union. So how do we get to a place where we do get um, a human face on these economic systems? Well, I mean, if you uh, think about um, the intervention in Vietnam when after they overthrew the French colonial regime and it was obvious that uh, the... You know, the leaders of the resistance to the French, uh, Ho Chi Minh and General Jupp, commanded widespread support in the community. Uh, the USA tried to impose a military regime in the south of that country and started a civil war in which we enthusiastically participated. And uh, the Vietnamese people fought off that intervention and established uh, what is essentially a socialist state. And um, if uh, you look, look at Southeast Asia, there's no evidence that the people in Vietnam have fewer opportunities or are less fulfilled than the people in uh, adjoining states like uh, Thailand or Malaysia, uh, which uh, uh, run as capitalist states. So it's there is a sort of um, living laboratory there that shows that you can have a socialist regime and uh, you can provide the things that people want, like uh, security and education and health care. Um, in fact, in, in similar terms, uh, in the, uh, the American hemisphere, Cuba is a shining example of a state that has basically the same life expectancy as the United States of America with about 5% of the average per capita income. And uh, it has uh, better statistics for infant mortality and it does more to provide medical services to poor countries than its much wealthier neighbour. So it, it is possible to have uh, socialist states uh, which uh, meet the needs of the community. The, the problem and the, the historic political problem is that um, uh, leaders in positions of power, uh, w whether in uh, capitalist or socialist states, are very reluctant to share their power with ordinary people. And uh, whatever the economic base of the society, there's a tendency for leaders to start believing that uh, they are irreplaceable and that uh, anything that sustains them is, is defensible in the community interest. Concrete. 
Gum there, Learjets over Culgra, a bit of a, a classic song about uh, the US alliance and how it affects Australia's natural environment. Of course, before that, we were speaking with Ian Lowe, partly about the Vietnam War and the way that uh, our alliance with the US drew us into this. Of course, Red Gum were there, um, marching against the war as they sang in the, the song Long Run about being locked up in Vietnam War protests. Um, so a bit of a one from the archives there. So that's from Brown Rice and Kerosene. What other songs are there on that? Oh, well, I don't, got a few. <laughs> don't know. hundred years. It's one of the later Red Gum albums, eh? Early eighties. Mm. Um, it's before they went full eighties rock sound. They were still sounding a bit folky there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, some classic, classic Australian political folk rock. Um, should we go back to part two of your interview with Ian Lowe? Yeah, yep. A number of authors have tried recently to outline alternative, sustainable economic models. I'm thinking here of people like Jason Hickel, Aaron Bastani, 
uh, Troy Vitesse and Drew Pendergrass and of course um, Yanni Fafusakis, the Greek-Australian finance minister from Greece who's written a book called Another Now. Have they been successful? Well, uh, they've been successful in setting out alternative models. They haven't been successful in persuading people to, to embrace them. I mean, in similar terms, um, Professor Herman Daly has been uh, advocating to move away from uh, an economic model that is predicated on the fiction that you can have unlimited growth in a closed system and move towards uh, what he's been calling for nearly 50 years, a steady state economy uh, in which uh, we maintain the economy at a, a constant level that can be sustained. But the, the problem with the, the current model is that uh, it requires every year to consume more and more resources and uh, there's now abundant evidence that the current level of consumption of resources is outside what can be sustainably produced by natural systems. So we are basically stealing from all future generations to fund our lifestyle. And uh, that's clearly morally indefensible, but uh, at least as importantly, it uh, uh, must inevitably uh, lead to very unfortunate outcomes. So what you're saying is that everyone could drive an electric car. It may be sustainable, but it still will consume a lot of resources and the system that it's based on may still just be growth rather than sustainability. That's exactly right. And uh, you know, that uh, green growth is uh, uh, marginally more desirable than brown growth, but it's still growth. And uh, you cannot expand forever in a closed system. And sooner or later, we need to recognise that... Uh, our civilization only has a future if it can be managed within the sustainable limits of natural systems. I have not heard of a attempt to reconcile the, the green aspects of the political agenda and, for want of a better term, the red aspects, the socialist aspects. You know, a red-green alliance does not seem to be imminent here in Queensland or Australia. You know, the last time I went to a conference that even discussed it was in the 1990s. Is that your experience? Yes, exactly right. I mean, in the uh, uh, around 1990, around the time of the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was a vigorous debate about the need to align the green agenda, the uh, impetus to live within the limits of natural systems, with elements of the red agenda, uh, giving working people a say over their lives and uh, reducing the power of uh, large corporations. But uh, basically since then, large corporations have got larger and more powerful. And uh, uh, I mean, we're now seeing in the um, example of uh, the Australian government's uh, struggle with Facebook and Google that uh, large corporations can now basically dictate terms to national governments because uh, they are wealthier than most sovereign nations. So we've allowed uh, the spread of an international uh, class of corporations which are literally outside the reach of the legal systems of most sovereign nations. You will be speaking at a, a webinar, it's a, like a people's inquiry, 
on the US-Australia alliance, and your topic will be the environment and community. How do the two relate to each other? The environment and community. Well, uh, no, uh, the environment and community and the US alliance. I've agreed to coordinate responses from individual members of the community to this inquiry. So I'll be drawing them together. So I'm clearly not going to announce in, in advance what I expect to find. But the reason I agreed to do this is that uh, the military are a very significant negative burden on the environment. They consume enormous quantities of resources. They produce enormous quantities of greenhouse gases which are changing the global climate. Um, and they are seen by governments uh, as a priority. So at a time when governments are um, reducing the funding of uh, public broadcasting, so they're systematically reducing our capacity to be informed about things that affect us, um, and they're systematically reducing funding of higher education so that they're uh, systematically reducing the capacity to educate our community and uh, make us better able to control our destiny. Uh, at the same time, military expenditure seems to be insulated from their general desire to reduce public spending. And uh, it's... Uh, an extreme case of this is the United States of America where one might have expected that the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union might have led to a reduction in military spending. Uh, but instead, military spending continues to increase. And every time there was an attempt to reduce spending on missiles or submarines or bombers, the congressional representative for the area where there were jobs involved jumped up and down and succeeded in, uh, in stopping uh, that happening. So we, we now have a situation where the, uh, the military expenditure is uh, obscene by comparison with community needs. I think the UN Development Program did a study about 15 years ago in which they concluded that a global program to provide every person on earth with the basics of a civilised lifestyle, uh, adequate shelter, uh, nutrition, clean drinking water, uh, health care, education, uh, would cost about 5% of the global military budget or 10% of what the United States of America alone spends on the military. Uh, so it is literally true that we can't afford to provide the services that the community expects because of the amount of money that we spend on the military. And uh, it, there's no evidence that this huge amount of spending makes the world safer. In fact, there's a reasonable argument that uh, the more is spent on military hardware, particularly nuclear weapons, the more likely it becomes that sooner or later a leader will be mad enough or desperate enough to use them. That's Ian Lowe, the Emeritus Professor at Griffith Uni in this area that we're talking about. Now, the reason why we're doing this interview is because IPAN, which is the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network, 
it is putting on a people's inquiry which begins next thursday on the 25th of february and they're looking at the costs and consequences of involvement in the u.s wars and the u.s alliance um, recently people might be aware that there was um, the Australian government brought a large contingent of US Marines into Darwin from Japan where COVID-19 is rampant and that a member of that contingent was diagnosed with COVID-19 and the argument that they're putting forward is that they're putting putting military exercises with foreign troops at a higher priority than the health of Northern Territory re residents, including vulnerable Indigenous communities. Now, that People's Inquiry, um, both um, Ian Lowe and uh, Peter Catt, they'll be coordinating the responses from people. Um, the way to contact um, the IPAN is through their email address is ipan.australia at gmail.com or through their website and where there'll be details of the inquiry that's at independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au and you can contact them and and put your name down for that uh, webinar if you want to go along to that or if you want to submit uh submission you know put in submissions send send it along to their email address so yeah um we might i don't know have a song now okay a little song this is carla geneve Chosen ourselves, they make. 
country If sunburn white faces If uranium And hard to reach places I love my country It's built on red rocks And barns the difference between their faith and yours the difference is you line the streets with torches and pitchforks with so few rally but god how it hurts my ears and we've public holidays commemorating young death they turn a patriotic lust throw away flags consumers Give my country with a flag of red, black, and yellow, not a colonialist rag. It's not my country, not mine to own. It's nobody's country but the red rocks and the bones. That is College and Eve from over in Western Australia with Red Rocks there. Um, you like that one, Ian? Whoa, what a great song. <laughs> uh, good artist, College and Eve. I was saying when I was living over in Perth briefly, late one night I was listening to RTR, the community station there, and um, that song came on. I was like, who is that? And um, I went and saw her play a couple of times over there. Most of her songs aren't as political as that, and they're a bit harder rocking too, but... Great artist, um, very talented young person. She cuts right through there. She got to the soul of Australia in one song. <laughs> we are talking about um, Australian independence from the US Alliance and environment, uh, how that plays into that. We're talking with Ian Lowe from UQ. Let's go back to the third part of that interview. Uh, young people in recent years have taken up the struggle against climate change led by it's a global movement and it's been led by a, a schoolgirl Greta Thunberg what advice do you have for those young people well the advice I have to young people is that uh, we're discussing their future and at the moment the uh, older leaders are neglecting their future in favour of uh, short term priorities and uh, it's clear that climate change is accelerating it's clear that the Paris Agreement was not strong enough to avoid dangerous climate change and it's clear that the pledges of individual nations are not enough to reach the Paris Agreement 
so uh, we have a totally inadequate response to what is now increasingly seen as a climate emergency. And uh, I encourage people, young and old, to uh, try and drag our governments kicking and screaming into acting responsibly and assuring our future. Because at the moment, we're heading for three or four degrees increase in average global temperature. And I remind people that the average doesn't apply everywhere. Uh, For example, Australia as a whole has warmed by about 1.2 degrees in the last 100 years. But uh, there are areas in central Australia that have warmed by two and a half to three degrees. And if the world as a whole warms by three or four degrees, there will be places in inland Australia that will be 10 degrees warmer than they are now. In other words, they'll be basically uninhabitable. And uh, this really is an existential crisis to human civilization that demands the sort of concerted action that we've had to tackle the pandemic. But um, interestingly, the pandemic has caused leaders of political parties to put aside temporarily their ideology and their, uh, their opposition to each other and work together in the community interest. And we really need that level of putting aside cheap partisan politics and working together in the interests of the community. And that will only happen if enough of we citizens make enough noise to drag the politicians kicking and screaming into action. Aboriginal people have lived on this continent for thousands of years and they seem to have established a harmonic relationship with the the plants and animals and the environment generally. Unfortunately, the frontier wars were successful in almost destroying that culture and it's only been, you know, the last 50 years that the culture has made a comeback, yet... Australian governments have refused to accept any kind of leadership from Aboriginal people in the debate about how we should manage country. Um, they, you know, in the statement from the heart, Malcolm Turnbull just summarily dismissed that uh, proposition to have a shared history. Is there anything that we can do to try to make that, reverse that? And, um, have, have, you know, learned from a culture that lived here for over 60,000 years. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I, I remind people that the original Australians worked out over tens of thousands of years, not just custom and practice, but uh, ceremony and a system of laws that allowed them to live within the limits of natural systems. And that's a, a lesson that we whitefellas really need to learn. I think an obvious first step is embracing the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which is a very reasonable and modest uh, set of uh, demands by the original Australians. But we also, I mean, increasingly in fire management, uh, the Whitefellow Fire Authorities are learning from the original Australians who had a pattern of using fire that prevented the sort of catastrophic wildfires that uh, we, we have produced in recent years. So we can obviously learn from the original Australians. And again, uh, I think we need to be reminding our elected leaders that uh, they have a responsibility to move in this direction, to embrace the Uluru Statement from the heart and to start a process of working responsibly with... Uh, those of the 
the original Australians who retain the knowledge and the culture of working within the limits of natural systems. Thank you very much, Ian. Is there anything you'd like to add? I suppose the final point is that uh, I spent a year running a little Australian agency called the Commission for the Future uh, more than 30 years ago. And its motto was that the future is not somewhere we're going, it's something we're creating. That um, we sometimes are told by experts that they can predict the future. And uh, I think a wise person once said it's difficult to make predictions, especially about the future, because the future isn't predetermined. It isn't unrolling inexorably according to the, the laws of physics or what are regarded as laws within economics. At any given time, there are a wide range of possible futures. And I think we have a responsibility from that wide range of possible futures to try and shape one that is at least in principle sustainable. I think that's the least that we owe our own descendants. Well, maybe we need to lower our expectations of what growth will produce as well to go along with that. Well, there are... uh, quite thoughtful economists who have moved away from the notion that the gross domestic product and economic growth uh, makes us better off. And they've been developing alternative indicators like the genuine progress indicator. And what they show actually is that most of the growth of the last 30 or 40 years hasn't actually made people better off or more satisfied. And uh, we really need to be thinking about satisfying people's needs rather than producing growth by encouraging people, as Clive Hamilton put it, to use money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. the deed. A natural alliance, a winnable defiance. The workers were greenies, were bringing down the giants like the stump of a trunk. When it's cut, we all bleed. Deep in our hearts, there is a seed. The planet, dig it, feed it, fan it, grow it. We're everywhere and you know it. The people united will never be defeated when we're healing the planet, not being cheated by the corporate plan of divide and rule. What redneck, what feral, who plays the fool when the wood chips hit the fan? When the wood chips hit the fan Planet, dig it, feed it, fan it, grow it On the planet, dig it, feed it, fan it, grow it Remember the ember 
is always there burning. The fires of justice are cleansing and turning the ashes to regrowth of each generation. We honor them both. Destruction and creation. Plan it, dig it, feed it, plan it, grow it. On the planet, dig it, feed it, plan it, grow it. Paradigm shift on 4ZZZ. That there was Lisa and Tony with Planet. Who are Lisa and Tony? I have no idea. I uh, stumbled across this album in the Triple Z library. It's called Insurgency is the Mother of Detention. And uh, I looked it up, and um, my guess is they're old greenies from the 90s, old blockaders. I think I might have to uh, ask around a, a bit if anybody knows anything about Lisa and Tony. But there's some <laughs> great tracks on that album. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, we're talking about an independent and peaceful Australia and what are the costs and consequences of Australia's involvement in the US-led wars and the US alliance and what are the alternatives. And part of that is uh, there's a big environmental impacts of, of wars and Ian Lowe has just given us a pretty good summary there. So he's heading up with a couple of other people a People's Inquiry that begins next Thursday through a webinar. And if you go to their website, independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au, it not only tells you about what's going to be discussed, it gives you a little video of how you can make your submission, um, where, you, where you log on and how you attend the webinar, because there's a series of them. It's, um, the one that's starting up next week is... Uh, Oh, that's someone just from yeah. the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network now just ringing yeah, me. Yeah. Radio anyway. 101, mate. Put your phone on silent. Oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, I'll have to do something about that. Anyway, so sorry, Annette. We'll, we'll just have to put you off for a second. But anyway, the, that series begins with this um, 
Australia-US alliance um, talking about environment and community next Thursday. And so, you know, if you're interested, maybe have a listen and put in your submission. Yeah, there's, of course, immense um, environmental impacts from war, both the devastation of places that are affected by war, um, which we are lucky enough that it's not us most of the time, the wars we're involved in, the... um, the costs happen elsewhere. Then, there's, of course, there's the emissions of all those jets or drones, everything like that. And then the the amount of the world's mining that goes to developing these things, you know, it's a huge cost. Um, and that's not often factored in, as well as the fact that the more environmental destruction there is, the more likely we are to live in an unstable world where um, there are conflicts and things like that um you look in syria part of what led to the conflict there was a a long drought where Mm -hmm. um and so these kind of resource wars might become more common and um the the two are are against each other you know militarism versus environment we need to take some of the resources out of militarism and focus on creating a sustainable planet um the other thing i was thinking about as well is the way Australia's US alliance ties us to really awful environmental policies. You know, when you think about John Howard refusing to sign the Kyoto Agreement back in the 90s, the US also refused to sign it, and partly it was John Howard's ideology as a somebody who didn't believe in taking environmental action, but partly, like, this is an act of solidarity with the US uh, strategic partner and whatever. And then more recently where Australia... We are actually have signed the Paris Agreement, but are one of the worst people at actually keeping it. We talked the other week on the paradigm shift about how we're just failing to meet our obligations for that. Um, and we've seen the US, you know, Trump pulling out, Biden signed up again, but showing a lack of commitment. And I think, you know, this is a truly global problem, climate change. It needs a global solution. And Australia's attachment to this uh, world power that's interested in keeping its own power puts us really on the wrong side of global solutions for this and uh, doesn't put us in good stead for global cooperation that's required both to stop climate change and then to adjust to it without the worst things happening, you know, of refugee crises, of conflict crises, of, of the poor, world's poor being disproportionately affected by it. Um, Australia needs to break free from our allegiance to powers who only protect their own interests and in this case i'll say china as well as the u.s you know australia doesn't want to be so tied to our trade with china that we can't um stand up to another world power to do what's in the best interest of the whole planet yeah the shareholders like ian Ian lowe said they're the ones who are pushing for more profit um they want to benefit but in the end like he also said you know they're buying things that they don't need to impress people they don't like. <laughs> it's a really weird system. Oh, it's a great line Clive Hamilton, from the book Affluenza. Clive <laughs> Hamilton, it, that whole book, the best, that one line, yeah, spending money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. And um, it's the illogicality of our, our social arrangements, you know. It's not that there's one person up the top like ordering you know all this destruction like it's just we've arranged aside in a way that's destroying the things that we need for life um for what you know to be overworked unhappy living in polluted cities disconnected from nature yep well there yeah it, we do need an alternative people and we've got to really 
think it through and take action as well. I might go to another track just briefly. Um, Kev Carmody, a favour of the Paradigm Shift. I love playing a bit of Kev. This is one of his more obscure songs. Back in the days of the Ara- early days of the Iraq War, he wrote this song about the US alliance. It's called Dubya Love Ya. It's from Kev's uh, more experimental side. <laughs> George W. Bush, old Derby. He's a good old boy, old Derby. Smoke him out, bring him to justice, crusade, then all axes of evil. Not everybody love you, Derby. Not everybody love you. I don't trust you. Hollywood and the media's reaction invades your brain. Got old George Bush acting like a born-again John Wayne. Oscar nomination, no odds will win. I'd rather be in Paris, Texas, than in Palestine. Not all the world love you, Debbie. Not all the world love you. Now in Iraq and Afghanistan, because he finished his work in Vietnam. W security is plain to see. Forces millions and millions to hide and flee. As aliens, asylum seekers and refugees, he got the whole world down on bent knees, praying for an end to their insecurity. Smoke them out, bring them to justice, the crusade, axes of evil. He's a good old boy, old W. Not everybody love you, W. Not everybody love you. Don't touch that red button. Don't touch that red button. I don't trust you. Don't touch the red button. Don't touch the red button. I don't trust you. Not everybody love you, don't ya? Not everybody love you. Christian Jew, fighting these wars for me and you. Hard for us to go say thanks. Dodging gunships, smart bombs, and armored tanks. Not all the world love you, W. Not all the world love you. Monotheism that comes from the Middle East seems to be based on war. It ain't based on peace. For a grand Bible, if you take a look. Take their God's word from that old monotheism book. Not all the world of you, don't you? Not all the world of you. Not everybody loves you, don't you? Not everybody.
Not everybody loves you, don't you? Not everybody loves you. I don't trust you. One of our great experimental political musicians there, Kev Carmody. That is Dubya Lovya. Um, of course, about uh, the US's role in policing the world in the Iraq War. Um, and we've been talking today about how the U.S.'s role in destroying our environment and how limited we are from in the environmental action we need to take by our U.S. alliance. Um, Ian mentioned there is a, a webinar coming up as well as a people's inquiry. Yep. I was just talking to Annette from IPAN, Independent and Peaceful Australia, and she's encouraging people to go to their website, which is independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au, and it has each um, webinar that's on and it has uh, how you can make a submission. That's the big thing. They want people to put in their two cents worth and to, um, you know, participate in the People's Inquiry so that they can get a submission together. I imagine they're going to put, a, get, put together a submission um, which poses alternatives to what we currently have. Um, there is... Uh, one other thing coming up, which is the Land Forces. It's uh, Australia's biggest weapons expo, um, and it's coming up 1st to the 3rd of June here in Brisbane at the Brisbane Convention Centre. Um, they're going to drive some tanks in there, talk about some, uh, you know, artificial intelligence that you can use to spy on people, direct weapons, drone bombers, all kinds of stuff. Um, it'll have, attract people from around the country and around the world. Um, if that's not your thing, going into the Land Forces, and to be honest, you probably won't get a security clearance to go in there, um, you can help blockade it and try to disrupt this event. And so from the 1st to 3rd of June, when the Land Forces Weapons Expo happens at the Convention Centre, a bunch of people are going to be trying to uh, disrupt it, stop the uh, weapons getting in there in the first place uh, stop um, people attending this expo happily and remind everybody that uh, we don't want more weapons we don't want more of our resources either natural resources or uh, mental resources as a society going to developing bigger and better weapons we need um, to develop things that will help us to live sustainably with one another on this planet so keep an eye out for that and um, hopefully that can be part of not just about that one conference, but a, a real movement to talk about what's the really important things um, for global security. Even the Australian military talks about climate change as a security threat um, and for the good life and for uh, truly independent and peaceful Australia. The last time we had heaps of tanks in Brisbane, they went right down Queen Street. It wasn't a mall then. They went, and they tore up all the asphalt. It was a huge spectacular in 1977, and the guy that actually organised it, they put him in jail because he <laughs> stole the money. <laughs> it was the most incredible extravaganza. Everyone went to line the street, and all these tanks went right down the middle of the street, ripping up all the asphalt, which poor old Brisbane City Council had to repair all the. Oh, yeah. All the roads. 
Well, probably better um, going a uh, tank expo than the, the other. What normally happens when tanks cruise through the middle of town? Well, so, that's true, eh? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so get involved in that. Um, yeah, as ever, the uh, better world that we want is ours to create. Yep. Um, and we might go out with one last song. This is local artist Rose Carousel. The song's called "Love for Our Future." Catch you next time. See ya. Just to help people planning for to eat.